Hello, I'm Michael Heyman, and you're listening to Changemakers. Now, my guest today is an economist and entrepreneur with an optimistic eye on an unpredictable future. Dr. Pippa Malgren earned her spurs as a White House economics advisor to then-President George W. Bush and went on to become a technology entrepreneur in a quest to move drones from toys to tools. With her book Signals, Pippa uses everyday indicators to see what many others did not, from the financial crash to Brexit to the rise of Trump. And she builds on this predictive model for unpredictable events with her new book, The Infinite Leader. It lays down the gauntlet to the powerful by asserting that leadership must be a moral commitment to do the right thing, or it is nothing. So let's discuss everything. Pippa, welcome to Changemakers. Absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Let's start with the infinite leader and moral leadership. So good to see you. Go for it. Well, I mean, I love that quote, leadership must be a moral commitment to do the right thing, um, or it's not. I mean, that feels like um, something that a lot of leaders might might read and quake. Yeah. Well, you know, most of the leaders, like CEOs, who've been forced out in the last 24 months. What's been the number one reason? Ethical lapses. It's quite amazing uh, how people have come to think that winning and doing anything needed to win surpasses whether it's the correct thing to do. And uh, I think that's one reason we're seeing all these leadership failures in politics, in business, frankly, even in religious organizations, right? The Catholic Church is having its own leadership issues. So it's a ubiquitous problem. Mm. I mean, you, you talk about the stereotype of, of leaders and conforming to type to, to people's expectations. I, I guess, w- tell us a little bit about the stereotype and tell us a little bit about what, what they should be doing if it's not sort of, um, if, it's not, if it's not conforming. Yeah, well, think of it this way. Most, we mostly have this idea it's kind of a Jesus Christ model of leadership, that there's one person in charge, they have all the answers, they're just going to tell us which way to go and we follow. I think this is gone. And now leadership, and I hate to be cheesy about it, but it's not about the leader part of the word, it's about the ship and how to bring out the best in the people that are on a team, because the world is too complex for any one person to have all the right answers. Mm. And second, It's not about being analytical and diving deeper into the data and the numbers to find the right answer. It's also about getting a sense of the feel and the zeitgeist. And that means you've got to to have a lot more situational awareness than a lot of our leaders are used to. I mean, these are extraordinary days because, you know, obviously we're we're living through a pandemic um, with COVID-19. We've got financial turmoil in the markets in this country. We've got Brexit to prepare for. In terms of the to-do list for for leaders, I mean, these are extraordinary requirements on them, aren't they, in terms of, I mean, can, can they ever live up to what we need them to do in an era like this? I think the answer is definitely yes, because people are stepping up to the plate and making tough decisions and getting it right. Um, But, you know, here's the thing. First of all, leaders always have a to-do list. They never have a to-be list. And that's because you can't do values. You can only be values. But people will feel it right away if there's any separation between what you're doing and what you're saying you stand for. So the more that gets aligned, the easier it is. And also, look, this is a period of history that analyzing the facts and looking backward at the data is not going to help you. What will help you now is having strong imaginal skills to be able to imagine. Imaginal. Imagine. Okay, so you've got to imagine what? Imagine the world in terms of what, trying to predict it or prepare for it? Well, 
I think this is, first of all, another thing. Stop trying to predict. It's a mugs game. Uh, you know, look at how many people said Trump will never win. Brexit will never happen. This is like a waste of time. What matters is getting comfortable with scenarios where you consider a whole bunch of possibilities, even the ones you think are impossible, because that forces your imagination to work. And then you're more prepared for a whole bunch of possibilities. Mm. I mean, when, when you look at the kind of, I guess the the public and private sector leadership. Um, I mean, I mean, you live in the UK. We'll move on to the US in a minute. But I mean, when you look at how leadership has responded to the pandemic in 2020 in, in this country, what, 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 how would you score it? <laughs> well, I don't think anybody's scoring it really high, are they? But you know what I would score highly is the way people have reacted. And a lot of people have stepped into incredible leadership positions. Like uh, recently an OBE was rewarded to a woman who created a home delivery for people who were poor and couldn't afford to buy groceries. I mean, people are imagining fantastic solutions Mm. So, so grassroots leadership. Yeah. Right? So we're seeing, we're seeing it on the ground, but, but so, so what, at what point then does it top out? You know, what point do we sort of say, well, actually there's loads of great examples of community initiatives or things that are happening, but then somehow somewhere up the mountain, we start to see, well, this is beyond the cast of characters that have got the levers to pull. I mean, is that how you see it or are there other factors at play? It's because we're looking for leadership in the wrong place. We assume it's the president or prime minister, but you know who it is? It's Marcus Rashford. It's this young kid, a football player, who just based on his own authentic reaction said, this is crazy that we are not feeding school children during the COVID lockdown just because technically they're not at school. They may be from poor families. They need help. And that young guy has done more to change the lives of kids in this country than all the people at the top. Mm. I mean, you um, you and I spoke um, uh, about a year ago um, and we were talking about the run-up to um, the U.S. elections. I mean, n- not least because you know what it's like on the inside of the White House as a former economics advisor to then President George W. Bush. What you said about um, about Trump at the time was that you were in favour of his of his philosophy, um, but that the delivery um, left a lot to be desired. De- desired. Pick up the story for us in terms of how the philosophy evolved and how you rated the delivery in, in, in the year since. Yeah, you know, this is an important question because people keep saying America's divided, and I'm adding, but it's also torn. And the way people are torn is between personality and policy. So I didn't like the personality. I liked most of the policy, although it started going really awry when he started separating families at the border. I mean, but even on the Democrat side, there are lots of people who are not crazy about Biden, but they wanted the policy. When we get leaders who can align the personality and the policy, then the country won't be as divided Mm. as it is, I think. So so if you were to sum up that philosophy, because, I mean, it is one of those things is that, I mean, you know, he he is this lightning rod character, as as these elections have proven. But in terms of a well-regarded economist that looks at a very populist president, you know, and, you know, reality television star that you've spoken about in the past, in terms of what you've bought into, in terms of the, the worldview, 
summarize that for us in terms of at a very personal level in terms of what what attracts you to it well again you know i'm not a trump supporter but i have to say as a policy person i can see why he got three million more voters this time than he did last time which for most people is just incredible and the answer is because he has a small government pro-business less regulation lower taxes approach which frankly most americans you know that, that resonates with them so that's the key all the other stuff he antagonizes everybody but on those key points he really does win over a lot of americans and that's partly what made the election so difficult by the way i have a prediction now if you want or rather uh, a scenario we should be prepared for to put it in my own language Let's get prepared tell us and that is trump is definitely going to launch a media platform he is absolutely going to create TNN, the Trump News Network, and it's going to be Fox News on steroids. With I, This is why he was meeting with Kanye in the West Wing about 18 months ago. They are totally preparing to take over media. And does that inspire you or does it terrify you? Because, I mean, it strikes me that you know, you are by nature a disruptor. You like to see things shaken up. Um, we'll get on to... Um, President-elect Joe Biden in a minute. But in terms of, you know, Fox News on steroids, I mean, is that a good thing for the world in your view? You know, no, and not, and it's like Instagram. Is Instagram a good thing for the world? You know, I, I guess everybody's watched The Social Dilemma by now. I'm very worried about how the algorithms are driving our lives and how we're caught up in this entertainment cycle and confusing politics and entertainment. But it's happening, and so we've got to deal with it. I mean, I mean, there was a there was a phrase that, that Joe Biden used that I think spoke to a lot of people at quite a nostalgic um, level, which was "Let's give each other a chance." Yeah. Before we get on to him as a president, do you think that the raw materials are there where? community where people can come back together or is the nature of um the world as you see it i mean we'll get on to signals as well your book but are the signals there that actually division is just what we now do no not at all i mean the current approach most people have is either you agree with me or you're evil or stupid which is a just a dead end for solving anything but what's great is watching people take leadership, as you say, at the grassroots level and getting involved in the core issues that matter. Now, you may not like how some people express that, right? We got the Black Lives Matter movement, and we have a lot of people who support exactly the same cause, but peacefully. And so the fact that everybody's involved in a really important cause that needs to be resolved is actually really promising, I think, even if it's uncomfortable and difficult for periods mm. of time. And Joe Biden, um, as a new president with a new, a new agenda, does it take us somewhere new or, or, or are we going back to the future? Uh, no, I actually do think it's going to take us somewhere new because one takeaway for the Democrats from the election is the country definitely said we don't want to make a big turn to the left. And so he, the Bernie Sanders end of the party, I think now will have less of a voice. The sort of Bill Clinton pro-business centrists will have more of a voice. 
And therefore, the world and Americans are not as afraid of some very dramatic turn back to, the, say, the 1960s. So that calms things down, does it? Is, is that what can we can we expect? Is is the cycle for the next four years a much calmer America, a much calmer political cycle, or or do you think people are going to say, look, you know, my, my my issues haven't gone away. I've still got a lot of pent up, you know, sort of aggravations about the way that politics works, the way that economies work, the way that the world works. I think people are still aggravated, and I think that TNN. Uh, is going to throw, uh, you know, fuel on that fire. By the way, Jeff Bezos, who had been thinking about running for the presidency for the Democrat side, look what he's looking to buy, CNN. So you're going to have the two guys that would have faced off in politics facing off on media platforms. So I think politics is about to get much noisier. Do, do, you, think, do you think entrepreneurs um, and politics are a bit like oil and water? I mean, you know, I mean, his first... His first URL was um, relentless.com. I mean, there is something about the the, the libertarian, the disruptor. I mean, do they do those sorts of characters? Do, do they make good business leaders? As, or, or, or do you think that actually there are great transferable skills for the political world? I think what really matters is the public wants an outsider, and they've wanted it since they elected President Obama. They want someone who's not part of the Washington inner circle. And that includes bringing in independent people from the business community. And I think that trend is just accelerating. Mm. But I suppose the thing is what, what people want and what they ultimately get might be two very different things. And, and this thing about, well, you know, I mean, the amount of times you heard um, sort of Donald Trump almost forgiven for anything on the grounds that, well, he's an entrepreneur. He's not a Washington insider. I suppose my, my question is, is that a lot of people assume that, Business, school, business skills are about pure leadership. Politics is about pure leadership. So actually, it's about just doing. It's about doing the same thing, but without a P and L. I mean, you, you you served in the White House. I mean, you've seen how how government works. What what? How do you rate business leaders in their transition um, into that kind of arena? It's really hard for them really hard because government is a machinery. You know, it's like somebody handing you the keys to one of those huge combine forester tractors and saying, here, drive. Drive and it. You don't know, like, which button do I push and where's the key go in? And these things are complicated machines to operate. On the other hand, the people who really know how to operate them well are often not the people you want to have operating them. Right. I mean, you know, you said to me in our last interview that the House of Cards has nothing on reality. It's much darker in real life when you were recollecting your your years um, at the White House. I mean, tell us what it's like on the inside. Tell us tell us the sort of the, the vibe. Tell us about, you know, what it was like. Yeah. You know, I sat next to the author of House of Cards and I said, it's much darker. Michael Dobbs. Yeah. And I said, it's much darker than that in real life. He said, you're from Washington, D.C. I said, that's right. Because <laughs> my dad worked for four presidents. So I grew up in it and I, I worked for Reagan as well. So anyway, look, it's brutal. And, you know, your worst enemies are on your own team most of the time. And uh, it's, you know, I think Henry Kissinger said once about academia that the fights are brutal because there's so little at stake. Well, in politics, there's no money, but there's power. And so everybody turns into Gollum and just like, it's mine, all mine. No one else's, you know, you're dealing with that all the time. But, I mean, you, you mentioned your dad and, 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 you know, and 
he served four presidents in a very distinguished capacity. Um, I mean, a lot of people look back and say, well, look, you know, you could have a distinguished track record working for presidents. Um, what's changed? Why has it become so difficult? Why has it become so choppy in terms of the, you know, you, you rarely sort of, um, you rarely hear of, I guess, political careers that seem to end well these days? Yeah. Well, you know, that's a really good question. I think it's part of a larger phenomenon in society. society. Our attention span is shorter and shorter. Our willingness to finance someone who says something off message is less and less. And, and do, do you think, I mean, you, met, you, met, you mentioned... Um, you mentioned CNN and about sort of the the, the chance, well, possibility of Amazon and Jeff Bezos buying it, um, and and of course, you know, he's got he's got form in that area. But I mean, in terms of the role of TV in 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 politics and wh- and where you see it going, um, I mean, you know, it's it, it sort of this reality television style seems to have hit the political world in a big way over the last few years. I mean, does that, I mean, you mentioned um, Trump and Kanye sort of setting up a TV station. What about Trump versus Kanye in 2024? I mean, is that the, is that the sort of world we're heading towards? Yeah. You know, here's the thing, Michael, Um, this whole business was predicted by Marshall McLuhan in his amazing book in the mid 1960s called the message is the medium. And what he said was, that the more uh, literary we have become as a society, the more linear we've become in our thought process. And ultimately there'll be literally too much to read. Now, everybody feels that, like I can't read enough, I can't keep up with all the books. So you stop reading and you start asking who said it or who told me. So now you ask if it came from Fox, I don't believe it. Or if it came from CNN, I do, or vice versa. And it makes you more tribal. And so I think he predicted this perfectly in about 1966. So you, I think it's a great point that, which is we, we kind of, you know, consume almost by media brand. I mean, you wrote your book Signals where you predicted Brexit and and, and many other things. Um, when you start to look at um, the world ahead in terms of the, the way economies are going to evolve, the way that COVID will have an effect on the world, let's look at 2021 and beyond in terms of what are the signals showing us for, for the next chapter? Okay, so I may be the most optimistic economist in the market today, as far as I can tell, because I think that we're going to get a recovery faster and sharper than people are expecting. But then again, everybody's built in the Great Depression. So, so this is the V. This is the V shape. I think it's a quantum. It's not linear, so it's not a letter shape. It's a quantum recovery where you're going to get two different things at the same time. You're going to have one group of people who are going to be like in the 1920s, buying a lot of champagne, and it'll be the Great Gatsby Mark II. And then you're going to have another group of people who are the grapes of wrath, uh, the people who lost their foothold. But I think there'll be far fewer this time than at that time. But overall, I think it's going to be a better economic picture, and I'll give you three reasons why. <laughs> I've well, the three reasons go for it, but I'm just saying before you did, what a great, what a great juxtaposition, the great Gatsby uh, uh, versus the greats of Ruff. I mean, that's a, I mean, spot on. Go on, give me your three reasons. Okay. Number one, record amount of money in the world economy, way more than after the financial crisis, looking for a home. Number two, 
unbelievable wave of entrepreneurial energy as people lose their jobs, their businesses, the whole system implodes, people start to build and create new things. And I see so many signs of that. And third, digitization, which is what we're doing on this meeting right now. Instead of me being in person and you in person, we can project. So the digitization that should have taken a decade got collapsed into three months. And that's partly why stock markets are so high because the productivity gains are massive. So you put those three together, money plus entrepreneurial energy plus digitization pretty much for free. I think we're going to see the recovery faster and sooner than we thought. Mm. I mean, I mean, it's very interesting that because I mean, of course, a, a lot of people have have spent this year, and of course, twenty twenty has been a year of reckoning of many of our of our ideas and ideals in life. But one thing um, that that struck me that, that does speak to um, to the optimists is that we spent much of this year um, saying that a vaccine was an if, not a when. Now we have a when, and how far it can go. I mean. Do you do you get a sense that there will be a kind of mission accomplished moment sometime in 2021 where the world will have a sense that it's won? Or do you think that this lags on and actually becomes just a, a change over time in terms of the way that it affects um, global economies? I don't think we're going to get a decisive moment. Uh, but I think the people who are risk takers will start to do more and more stuff. The people who are afraid or who need to be protected from the pandemic will remain conservative and, and hidden away. But slowly one will outnumber the other and we will move forward. I mean, it's like the Spanish flu, which was more virulent than this, right? You could be fine at 10 a.m. and dead at 10 p.m. So people eventually just kind of got on with it. Mm. I mean, you, you talked about that, you know, your optimism is a bit out of fashion. And it is. I mean, a lot of economists spend a lot of time, you know, being being very pessimistic about global growth. I mean, lots of sort of, you know, lots of good counter arguments. But in terms of I, I don't think your I think your optimism is part of your character as well. And we were we were speaking just before we went on air about a great Yates um, quote that you love, that the world is full of magical things waiting to be perceived. Where, where does that, that, that view of the world, this imaginative, positive view of the future come from? And, and at what point has it been challenged, I guess? Oh, you know, it gets challenged all the time and it's been challenged in, you know, these COVID, mo these COVID moments for sure in lots of different ways. But look, it's all down to your belief system. What do you believe humans do when they're in trouble? Do they just roll over and say, I'm a ward of the state now and I have no hope and no, no chance? Or do they do incredible things when they're under pressure? And I always see examples of people doing incredible things under pressure. So I believe that humans are highly inventive and we should never underestimate this. So I get that's your worldview, but in terms of your world experience, I mean, is it, you know, there's that great saying about hope is not a strategy, right? You know, that actually, you know, I mean, is it because you are by nature a hopeful person or do you think that the kind of more strategic mind of an economist leads you to here? I'm trying to get a sense, I guess, of the what makes Pippa tick. Yeah, uh I don't know, you know, my mom, uh, she worked with um, J.R.R. Tolkien 
Uh, she was doing Middle English with him uh, back in the late 1950s. And so the power of story, and I, I grew up with that narrative story, kind of there's always a way out, the bad guy loses. Like, I, I guess that's part of it. It's not about being an economist. That's just my built into my personality that the story can always have another chapter. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so there's a narrated journey. Um, Politically, where, where do you where do you put yourself on on the spectrum as as an economist? I mean, it strikes me that there are elements of the libertarian about you. Is there, you know, what, 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 how would you um how do you qualify your own view? Where where do you sit? You know, there's a guy called Daniel Schmuckenberger who I recommend everybody go listen to. There's a great a great name, great name. He's a philosopher, Schmachtenberger, the philosopher. It's called The War on Sensemaking. It's like an hour and 48 minutes on YouTube. I think I've watched it like five times and I'll watch it again. And what he describes is the right answer, which is stop trying to place yourself on the spectrum somewhere, invent a new definition. And so every single thing is up for discussion now, right? There isn't, a, a, this isn't linear anymore. It's a whole new shaping of our environment. And so there isn't even a word for what I am. And there isn't a word to end this interview, Pepper. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> I mean, but so, so beyond description. And, and, and in fact, it's, it's interesting because you, you, you talked about that in the, in the election that it's no, no longer about red or blue states, it's about purple states. I mean, is there, I mean, are, are we sort of moving to a, to a world where we're going to have to rebrand our ideas and re-explain them for a, for a new generation? I mean, without, lot, final question. Without a doubt, without a doubt, we're going to need new language and new words because the old ones are so charged and loaded that we can't break through to better outcomes without literally making up new words, which, by the way, I do all the time. I made up a new word, which is glocalization. Because, <laughs> I know, but the new globalization, right, the old globalization was all the jobs went to China. The new globalization is the jobs are being created everywhere. So it's like local creation of jobs globally. What is that? Globalization. Great. Well, listen, I mean, we could absolutely go on reinventing the script here, Pepper, but I think for this episode, that's all we have time for and thank you so much for your thoughts your views behind the curtain at the white house through to the ideas and inspirations that may well inspire the future ahead so thank you very much to my guest there dr Pippa malgren and a clarion cry for leaders to lead and for us to spend more time watching and learning from the signals all around us and for more answers to what comes next do join me again for the next change makers